0: Welcome to What Magnificence with Chase Thornock, where we help high-achieving executives and entrepreneurs find answers to their most vexing health problems through the power of what if. Now, here's your host, Chase. Hey guys, what's good and what if? Welcome to What Magnificence. This is Chase Thornock. I am your host and I am happy to have you. We are continuing this week our mini-series where we talk about different conditions and how breath and cold might be the what-if that you need if you're dealing with some of these issues. And uh, just before I get to that, though, I have been enjoying a fabulous shake from Absorb Plus just previous to recording this episode. And if you are new to the show and you haven't heard of Absorb Plus, go to my website, and you can click to get a free sample of Absorb. There's a button for that. And there's also a special offer where you can click and get seven tubs of Absorb Plus for the cost of six. So go check that out if you haven't already. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about ADHD. So ADHD and ADD Ah, they're such good topics. It, it's actually something that runs in my family and in my wife's family. Um, and it may be something that runs in your family as well. So ADD and ADHD are characterized as a, an inability to focus. Um, so, And then in children, it can display differently than it does in adults. But that's kind of the hallmark is uh, inability to focus. Uh, and then in addition to that, it can include impulsive behavior, being fidgety, having trouble meeting deadlines, all those things. And if you're like me, you you hear that list and you're like, oh man, that might, that might be me. <laughs> so whether you're diagnosed with these conditions or undiagnosed and thinking, huh, okay, this might be interesting, then this episode's for you. So uh, before I launch into this I also think it's important to point out, uh, as we've discussed in previous episodes, to look at also high sensitivity, because sometimes they can mirror one another. ADD, ADHD, and high sensitive individuals can exhibit similar types of symptoms. So I think it's important to kind of ask that question, where where is your sensory set point? And if you're interested in more information on Sensory stimuli and how everyone has a specific set point for their sensory stimulation. Go and check out that episode uh, where we talk about uh, high sensitivity. So, so moving on there. So there is a connection um, between ADD, ADHD, and low norepinephrine, also known as noradrenaline. So this is a chemical that is produced. Uh, and used in your brain and it basically performs the same function as adrenaline does in your body it does for your brain and it's a neurotransmitter now as we've talked previously your neurons connect to one another right which is really really cool so when you reinforce behaviors do things over and over again those connections get stronger and more and more reinforced and you get more and more messengers and or more and more electrical connections Uh, But I think it's helpful to understand here that when your neurons are connecting to each other, they're not actually touching. Uh, They connect at a point called the synapse. And the synapse, there's actually a gap, a slight gap. And they communicate via either electrical signals or chemical signals, right? Like all the cells in your heart that control the the beating of your heart operate by electrical signals. And that's important because they're coordinating together and beating with your heart. But there's also another way that those synapses communicate, the neurons communicate to each other through the synapses, and that's a chemical signal. So an example of this is that a neuron generates an electrical signal that travels down and goes to that synapse that junction and then at that synapse it stimulates a chemical to be released those chemicals are neurotransmitters all right so norepinephrine also called noradrenaline is one of those neurotransmitters okay and and the advantage of the chemical transmitters over the electrical is that they can be far more nuanced the disadvantages are that it's a slower signal, both slower to release and slower to go away than an electrical signal is. It's why it can be so challenging sometimes when we have pre-built conditioning that stimulates a stress response in us because then we got to deal with all those neurotransmitters flooding the synapses for a while until they get either destroyed by enzymatic enzymatic activity or they get reuptaken by the cell that launched them to begin with. Okay, we're gonna talk about all that as we move forward here. So as, as just a foundational idea here, you need to understand that we know that there is a problem with the neurotransmitters when it comes to ADD and ADHD. Uh, not, not only norepinephrine and, and noradrenaline, but dopamine and and others as well. Now, fascinatingly enough, a precursor to norepinephrine and noradrenaline is dopamine. So if you're not producing enough dopamine, you're going to struggle to produce enough norepinephrine. Okay. All right. So the function of that chemical, as I said, in the body is to prepare it for fight or flight. Remember, these are key signals from the sympathetic nervous system. Okay, to prepare your body for fight or flight, and it's the resource allocation system of your body. So when those neurotransmitters are released, then the fight or flight system says, shift resources to now, right? Pay attention. Something's coming up important that's about to happen. Here we go. And that can take a lot of different um, facades on, right? So if if you are in a real huge fight-or-flight experience, right, everything shifts really, really hard. Full fight-or-flight, you're ready to go. But there's also slight nuances, as we've discussed. Like when you stand up from a seated position, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in a little bit to raise your blood pressure so you don't pass out and fall over. It doesn't ramp you all the way up, right? Again, that's one of the beauties of these chemical messengers it's that it can be more nuanced than a electrical. Electrical is more binary. It's either on or it's off, right? Chemical can have a lot of different variations to it, okay? So when people struggle with ADD and ADHD and they struggle with focus, there's a dysfunction in the system. That system that says, hey, something important's about to happen, pay attention, isn't really working very well now here's another fascinating part about these neurotransmitters these neurotransmitters are critical for us to be able to respond to situations that are new for us in my experience i've seen that as a hallmark of adhd as well where we talk about lack of focus lack of attention and there is that but there's also hyper focus and hyper especially in tasks that are uh, reinforced something that's not new to somebody And that they enjoy doing, they're able to focus really, really intently on that uh, on that process. So the norepinephrine is not only pay attention, right, but it's pay attention. Here comes something new. Something new is adaptability, right? We lose the ability to adapt to a new situation, in some cases, to varying degrees, when we're dealing with ADD or ADHD. Now, knowing this it makes sense that every medication used to treat ADHD increases the availability of noradrenaline in the brain. Okay, That makes sense. The more noradrenaline there is, the more ability there is to focus and the more ability there is to adapt to new situations. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Um, This is also why stimulants like caffeine calm people down with ADHD, because it acts on the noradrenaline receptors. These same receptors, it gives them the more of it, so then they're able to focus in new situations, rather than being overstimulated and have being under uh, under neurotransmitized. I think that's a word. If it's not, let's put let's add it. So they don't have enough of the chemical and it's a new situation to them. Okay, so a lot of the medications prescribed for ADHD, again, all of them increase norepinephrine in the brain, and many of them are what are called selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and they go in the same category as medications that we use for um, depression. Those medications also inhibit Uh, the reuptake of a chemical messenger and in that case it's serotonin. Now what's reuptake? Basically when the neuron sends that chemical signal to the other neuron it floods that synaptic space with that neurotransmitter anything that's not taken up by the receiving cell and or once the receiving cell has gotten the message, it releases that neurotransmitter back to the, the neuron that, that fired it in the first place. And there's reuptake points where it pulls it back into your body, uh, sorry, back into that neuron to be able to be used later on, right? That's pretty cool. And for, for some of those chemical messengers, they can either be reuptaken to stop the signal Okay, so we talk about this phenomenon of having a fight or flight response and dealing with the chemicals, the more adapted that you become, the quicker you're able to reuptake those chemicals into the neuron and shut down the response that your body is having, right? That's a key thing that I teach my clients. Once you have the fight or flight response, there's no stopping it, but you can learn how to speed up the reuptake of those chemicals to stop it from firing your body in the fight or flight situation, all right? So again, many of the drugs we use for depression, ADHD, ADD, these are reuptake inhibitors. What that means is they prevent them from doing their job. So when the serotonin, or in this case the noradrenaline, is released into that synaptic cleft, is what it's called, the space between there, it the cell that sent it is no longer able to reuptake it, which means there's more of it there in the synapse, and that's great. Right, Because that means that there's more noradrenaline, which means that for ADD and ADHD, it calms and it gives them the ability to focus and adapt to new situations. Awesome stuff, right? Here is the downside. Because the truth is, and we all know this, the truth is you never get something for nothing. When you take a medication that prevents the reuptake, there's a price to pay. And I think a useful example of this is cocaine, all right? So cocaine is it, it basically it blocks the reuptake of dopamine in the brain cells. Okay. And we all recognize dopamine as the feel-good chemical. It's it's what we what we get we get a dopamine hit when we eat ice cream, right? When we look at social media, we get a dopamine hit. It helps us to feel good. And cocaine prevents. Reuptake of dopamine, which means there's more dopamine in the synapses. And all that translates for you and I is we feel good. We feel really, really good. Okay. But there's some side effects immediately. People tend to feel paranoid and jittery when they take a medication like that. All right. Um, and then the side effects get worse. The problems get worse. So the reason why is because you have a limited supply of these neurotransmitters. You, you, and your body needs time to brew more of them. like you can't it, It's not like the electrical signals that we've talked about previously um, that seem more infinite. These neurotransmitters are finite. We talk about this idea of adrenal fatigue, right? That's not having enough noradrenaline in your body to produce the effects that you need to have happen. And the less of it that you have, the less that's available to you. And then if you use medications to supplement this process or prevent the reuptake of that process and you flood the system with more dopamine in cocaine's case, then the brain starts to adapt to that. And it says, there's way too much dopamine in here for the receptors that I've got. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get rid of some of these receptors. (laughs) So now the problem that you see happening is that now you need more dopamine to feel normal because you have less receptors for the dopamine and this is what creates a dependency on these medications because the brain adapts it says there's too much and it shuts down its sensitivity to the dopamine right fascinating stuff okay so the same thing can happen with with any sort of drug this way okay and then you need more and more of it in order to function normally so remember that that some of these chemical messengers that go between the neurons are reuptaken and some get broken down by enzymatic action, all right? So now let's talk about the cold, because this is where stuff gets really fascinating. I think, as I've done more of my research, the first thing that's very apparent is that the body is incredible. If you want, if you want any glimpse into this, just take a few minutes and start researching how the neurons and the synapses interact with one another. It's incredible that this happens, right? There's spaces in between, and these chemical messages, and the nuances that these these messages can have, um, varying degrees of influence. They can be split. They can be, you know, when we talk about emotions and feeling a ton of different emotions, the the conglomeration of all of those electrical and neurochemical signals are emotions, right? That's what we end up feeling in our bodies. And they're so varied and so nuanced. Our bodies are absolutely incredible. So the takeaway is your body is amazing, right? And it does amazing things. And it does things that we don't even understand. But here's some of the things we do understand. And here's some things that we've understood, honestly, for almost half a century. So, in a study done in 1977, they found that after two minutes in immersion of water at 10 degrees Celsius, and for those of you, those of you my friends who are in Fahrenheit, that's 50 degrees Fahrenheit. After, After two minutes of immersion in water at those temperatures, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, the norepinephrine produced by the body nearly doubled. And... The metabolic rate increased threefold. <laughs> I think that's absolutely incredible. This is two minutes of cold exposure at 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that's cold. It's certainly cold water, but it's not as cold as water gets. And it's only two minutes to be done. All right. So, the take home for you, my friends, is. What if cold, am am I telling you to get rid of all your medications? No, I'm not, right? Am I telling you to do this without a doctor's, you know, oversight? No, absolutely (laughs) talk with your doctor about these things. But it could be, what if this could be a really fundamental change for you? It was for me. By doing this exercise and stressing your body with the cold, you can increase your norepinephrine by almost double, And remember, that's what the medications to treat ADD and ADHD do. That's what all of them are intended to do. So I would invite you to try it. The breathing does the same thing, right? By exciting and creating a stress response in the body, your body says, we need to focus now. It's important for us to focus now on on really important things like cold, Right, when we're when we're not when we're not warm enough, that's a problem, and so our body focuses on that task. Okay, so ADHD, cold breathing, fascinating connection. Give it a shot, my friends. I'd love to hear how it goes for you.